0: Well, good morning, everybody. hope you had a fantastic week. I uh, came across uh, a few years ago um, an interesting uh, piece of writing that was uh, in a book called Outgrowing God, writ- written by Richard Dawkins. Those of you who know who he is, he um, totally dislikes any belief in God. And he wrote this book about how we need to get out of this thing of... Um, you know, um, believing in God, and that's why he titled it Outgrowing God, so a very outspoken atheist. At one point, he had put a um, spade, the money, the, the fees, to put on all the buses in London uh, a big sticker that said, um, God probably doesn't exist, um, just go on and enjoy your life, and it was a very controversial thing because, first of all, he says God probably doesn't exist. Well, you've got to be bold to put that on there. You've got to be sure He doesn't exist before you put stickers like that on. And secondly, why do we think that if God exists now, suddenly we can't enjoy our lives? I've got a fantastic life. Do you? Yeah. Yes, of course, you have a fantastic life. In any case, he wrote this book, and, yeah, and there's one chapter I got into, and he talks about a, he's trying to show how s- some defects in nature prove that God does not exist. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Um, he would point out certain things uh, in animals and say, well, if this animal was created by God, uh, God wouldn't have created it that way. I mean, because it doesn't make sense. Have you seen like w- really weird looking animals? Yes, I've seen quite a few of those. And, and maybe sometimes you think, well, gee goodness, why would God make an animal like that? And he came across, the, he explained this one type, the, a fish, and he explains how a fish it's got a nerve that goes from the brain to the gills, right? A, a nerve, it's called a laryngeal nerve. We call it today a laryngeal uh, nerve. And then he says, well, that if, if you look at the fish, it's pretty. It's interesting how this nerve goes from the brain directly to the gills. Um, but then you look at a human. Now, a human, um, it's, it's a little bit different. How it works in a human is this way. You have a nerve that goes from the brain And it goes down into your chest. It goes around one of your um, aorta, um, what do you call it, Um, veins in your heart. One of your biggest veins in your heart. It goes around it. Then it comes back up into your larynx, which is your voice box. And he says, that's bad design. Think about it for a moment. If you were God and you designed the human body, why would you take the nerve all the way from the brain, like through the heart, Back to the voice box. Why not just straight from the brain to the voice box? You get what I'm saying? Now, he explains that the reason, he's trying to explain the reason for this. The reason for this is, is because we evolved from fish. Remember? The fish has got a laryngeal nerve as well. But it goes directly to the gills. Now, I'm asking the question, when did the, when did the gill turn into the voice box? Are you with me? When did the I mean fish can't speak, they've never had voice boxes. How is it that, that happens? And so he explains it like this. So over time, as the 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 being, the fish, developed, got into land and then developed a neck, it started to stretch this laryngeal nerve. But it got stuck behind the heart as the as the, the neck developed and the head separated from the body and the shoulders developed. And that's the explanation for the laryngeal nerve. And so he says bad design. Now, I I, I read that, and I thought to myself, and I'm scrolling through scriptures as I'm reading that, and um, a verse came to my mind that Jesus said 2,000 years ago. He says the following. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Have you ever heard that before? Think about it for a moment. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus was not... medical doctor he had not dissected human beings okay but he was stating a biological fact that the laryngeal nerve that connects to your voice box literally goes through your heart isn't that incredible now you've heard people speak right you can pick up in people's voices when they are emotional have you the heart is vibrating literally That's affecting the voice box. Absolutely incredible. So when you listen to somebody speak, you've got to listen very carefully because you can pick up some vibrations from their hearts. You can hear. You can close your eyes and you can hear when somebody's got joy in their voice. You can hear when somebody's singing from the heart. You can hear when a person is serious with you or not. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, which refers to the the, the blood flow, the mouth speaks. The voice box brings forth sounds. That's the way that God designed us. If you want to know, and this is maybe not as, um, as, as clear uh, cut as the vibrations that you would hear in somebody's voice when they're emotional or happy or whatever, but I think it's true psychologically that when you listen to people's words, you will know what's going on inside of them. If you want to know what's inside of somebody, listen carefully to what they're saying. Evaluate their words. I mean, if if somebody could take the words, all the words that you've said the last year, what do you think would be the most common words and phrases? If you could do that evaluation, it will show you what's in your heart. Because we speak about the things that's in us. The things that are important to us. The things that matter to us. That's quite an exciting exercise. Imagine you could record yourself for a while. Or your partner could tell you, Hey, but you keep on talking about the garden. Every day you talk about the garden. You talk about mowing the lawn. Yeah, obviously that's the most important thing in your life because you keep on talking about it, right? And so we can evaluate one another and we can pick up very quickly. By the way, that verse is in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. So, um, I'd like to say, what, what consumes your mind controls your life. So you start with the words, well, what words do I say? And then, you, then you, you figure out what's going on in your heart, and then you'll know those are the type of things that's controlling your life. And you can pick it up, like I've gotten to know many of you. I already know sort of what we're going to talk about when I, when I sit and have coffee with you. I know what it's going to be about. It's going to be about work, it's going to be about your truck, it's about your new car about your wife again, whatever the case may be. I'm just using examples. But so we can pick up when we have conversations with people what's important to them. And whatever that is, that is what's controlling uh, their lives. I have got a new series this morning. The challenge this morning is, is, is this. What did Jesus speak about the most? What did Jesus speak about the most? Sorry, It's entitled Top Ten Hits. The top ten topics that Jesus spoke about the most. That's one of it, yes. And I actually gave uh, Rod a little note to to, to fill in and, and to guess. What does he think? The top five things is that Jesus spoke about the most. Because if we can evaluate what Jesus spoke about the most, then we will know what was most important to Jesus. We will know what was in his heart. I think this is important. Because if we don't understand what was really in Jesus' heart, we run the risk of thinking things are important to him that's not that important to him. So we've got to figure out what's at the top of this list. I've heard people say before, um, you know, Jesus spoke more about money than about hell. Have you ever heard that before? Um, people try and, 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 and say what they think Jesus says the most when in case it's, it's not really so. So I thought, over the next few weeks, I thought, let's settle it once and for all. And I'm I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. Um, I came across a a research done by a missionary named Len LaCroix. So he went and manually researched every word Jesus said in the Gospels, in the book of uh, Acts, and in the book of Revelation. Those are the three places that Jesus speaks. And then he counted the number of verses Um, that uses those varying words or topics and came to some conclusion. And so as you will see um, that in the study as I share that with you. So just two things. If we know what Jesus talked about the most, we will know what we should talk about the most. If our hearts want to be like that of Christ, it's important to look at what Christ said because that will explain to us what was important to, to Him. If we know what Jesus talked about, we will know what was important to Jesus so we can make it important to ourselves. So, without further ado, Rod, are you correct? Are you correct? Number one, 100% convinced. The number one thing that Jesus spoke about is God, not money. Not hell, not marriage, not business, sorry to say this, not politics. Jesus did not permeate his thoughts and his words with money, with politics, with business, or anything related to this world. A total of 376 verses are recorded in which Jesus speaks about God. It's a little bit tricky because when Jesus speaks about God, He's also talking about Himself, right? So He's included 117 verses where Jesus speaks about Himself as divine, 61 where He speaks about the Father, and 32 about the Holy Spirit. All the verses where Jesus speaks and He refers to God, the topic Jesus spoke about the most was God. Jesus came to infuse the world, With God, like a fragrance. It's like Jesus came into the world and He sprayed everywhere a beautiful fragrance. It was the fragrance of His Father. He brought an awakening for 400 years. There was no voice from the prophets, right? By the time that Jesus came and started preaching, there's been silence about God. So when Jesus came into the world, He said, I'm going to make sure that I speak about my Father. That I speak about the God who created the heavens and the earth. He was like a fountain in a, in, in, in a time where there was a drought. He came from God. He came for God. Surely God would be his most predominant topic. Let's look at a few verses. Uh, John chapter 5 is 43. three have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. His purpose was to come in his father's name. John six thirty eight. For I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John chapter 8 verse 41, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. If God sends Jesus into the world, do you think he's going to keep quiet about him? No, he's not at all. Now, how did he do this? A few things. He pointed to God. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus does this so profoundly. He talks about the idea that we don't have to worry about food. That if God feeds the animals, why are we worried about food? He talks about fashion. If God clothes the lilies of the field, why do we worry about clothes? He talks about the future. He says, can, you know, can you add any day to your life by worrying? Can you add a minute to your life by worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. And so he says, don't worry about the future. And then he says, finances. Money, God provides. Why worry about these things? You can't serve both God and money. Matthew chapter 6. But listen to what he says. He says, the pagans run after all these things. The pagans run after food, fashion, future, and finances. Jesus says, what does he say in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 6? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Unfortunately, Christianity is devolved in a sense, where we have sermons and we have talks and when we talk to one another, we talk to one another more about money and more about the future and more about the worries of food and what we're going to wear than we actually just talk about God. Jesus talks about those stuff and immediately He says, okay, you guys are worrying about these things. Let me point you to God. Seek Him first and His righteousness and all these things will be resolved in your life. But not only did Jesus point to God, he also displayed God. He showed God off because he was God incarnate. John chapter 14, verse 8 says, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Because Thomas, uh, uh, Philip, sorry, comes to Jesus and says, Show us the Father and we'll be happy with that. And Jesus says, Oh my goodness, dude, you've been with me so long. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus came to make God visible, and we've spoken about this before, right? For thousands of years, human beings have created images to try and and create a copy of what they think the gods look like. And like after all of these thousands of years, God's like, okay, you guys are still trying to figure out what I look like. So what I'm going to do is I'll come down in human form, and you'll see that as a human, I look normal like a human, But my character will be revealed. You will see who I am. So God really came down to our level and displayed himself to us in the form of a human being. So it can make sense to us. That's what Jesus does. So not only did he point to God, he displayed God. And then thirdly, he brought God. He brought God into the hearts of people. And what am I referring to? I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's got to leave, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And when people's sins are forgiven because of the cross, God can actually now come and live inside of people. So Jesus did all three of those. Let me quote to you what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me, and listen to this, and I am in you. So we can summarize all three of these. Pointing to God, displaying God, bringing God. In this verse, John chapter 17, 25 to 26. Righteous Father... Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known. I've come to display you. I've come to point to you. So I have made you known to them and will will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Basics, right? Simple. Jesus spoke more about God than any other topic. That was his mission. That was his goal. To tell the world about his Father. To point everybody to him. Simple, right? So Jesus was sent by God. His primary mission was about God. To do God's will. God, his heart and his mission was always on the lips of Jesus. Jesus lived the conscious life of God. He did not go anywhere or do anything where and when God was not on his mind. God was not a part of his life. God was his life. His goal on earth was to reveal God, to represent him, to let the world know who this God really is. He embodied God. He spoke of God. He prayed to God in front of people and in private. He was not shy of God. He did not hide from God and neither did he hide God. He presented God, proclaimed God, honored God and lived for God. And what's the result? After 33 years of his life on earth, the world knew God better and clearer than ever in the history of humankind. Quick question. Will the world know God better because you lived? Do you point to God when you converse with people? Do you display God through your life? Do you bring God into conversations? Like Jesus did. Or is God, the word God, is it absent from your vocabulary? Is it absent from your daily life? Jesus spoke about God consistently, permanently, and He left the world in a better place. So, our mission is to know Him and to make Him known. That's our job. That's our goal. To know Him and to make Him known. I think it's important for us to realize this, that the world is slowly but surely starting to forget or ignore God. Most people don't talk about God. The fastest growing faith in America is what? I'd like to take a guess. Atheism. The belief that there is no God is the fastest growing faith in America. And it is a faith. So obviously, they won't talk about God. Atheists are not going to talk about God. You can't really talk about Him in schools anymore, can you? People are increasingly becoming sensitive about it. Right? It's, it's, it's even frowned upon in politics. If Jesus was walking the streets of some of the towns in Oregon, talking the way that He spoke in the first century, do you think that He would have some trouble and some struggle? I think you would. I came across an article um, in the New York Times. It's entitled, It's Getting Harder to Talk About God. More than 70% of Americans identify as Christian. Listen to what he says. But you wouldn't know it from listening to them. Well, 70% of Americans call themselves Christian, but you wouldn't know it if you just had conversations with them. An overwhelming majority of people say that they don't feel comfortable speaking about God most of the time. They don't feel comfortable talking about Him. So this guy says, I enlisted the Barna Group, a social research firm focused on religion and public life, to conduct a survey of 1,000 American adults. This study revealed that most Americans, more than three quarters, actually do not often have spiritual or religious conversations. More than one-fifth of respondents admit they have not had a spiritual conversation at all in the past year. More than one-fifth. What, what's that? Uh, 25%? 20%? 20% of Christians haven't had a talk, a conversation with somebody about God spiritual things. 6 in 10, 60%, say they had a spiritual conversation... Only on rare occasions in the last year, very rarely, 29% several times, 29% in in, in the past year. 7% of Americans say they talk about spiritual matters regularly, like on a weekly basis. So ask yourself the question, did you have a spiritual conversation this last week? Or were your conversations just about business? And work. And money. And whatever this earth has to offer. Here's the real shocker. Practicing Christians who attend church regularly aren't faring much better. A mere 13% had a spiritual conversation around once a week. Do you think Jesus went through one week of not having a God conversation with someone? How is it that Christians have become so unlike Jesus? He continues to talk about the research that shows our Christian vocabulary is slowly fading away, way out of general conversations, never mind the Word of God. He says there's also a practical reason we need a revival in God talk, specifically at this time in American history. Many people now avoid religious and spiritual language because they don't like the way it has been used, misused, and abused by others. But when people stop speaking God because they don't like what these words have come to mean, and they've been used, those who are causing the problem get to hog the microphone. That toothy televangelist keep using spiritual language to call for donations to buy a second jet. The politician keeps using spiritual language language, to push unjust legislation. The street preacher keeps using spiritual language to peddle the fear of a fiery hell. They can dominate the conversation because we've stopped speaking God. In our effort to avoid contributing to the problem, we can actually worsen it. So in a nutshell, Christians have become shy about using God language. Christians have fallen into the trap of thinking that mentioning God is politically incorrect. I've got good news, in case you don't know it. We live in a country where we have free speech. You are allowed to use God's name. You are allowed to talk about God. And we must talk about God if we follow Jesus. And I'm going to give you a few reasons why. There's no excuse Let's just reel it in. Jesus spoke more about God than anything else. Now we Christians, deep in our hearts, we trust God more than anything else, correct? Yes, we do. Our speech just sometimes don't align with our hearts. Our words and our hearts don't align. So what can we do? Very simple. We can drizzle our daily conversations With the word God. There are various ways we can put the word God into our conversations. Without being ashamed. We don't have to be shy or ashamed to put the word God into our sentences. And actually talk about Him. Secularism, humanism, scientific materialism is trying very hard to kick God and God words and God ways out of the human experience. The same guy did research, and he evaluated how words have been used. You can actually go Google this, how words have been used over the last 500 years. And Christian words, specific types of Christian words, are being used less and less and less in general conversation. It's a fact. Because people are ashamed. Our job is to point to God, wouldn't you say? Our job is to bring God into the human experience. Our God is to display God. But if we are so shy of saying the word God in conversation because of social pressure, we're not representing Jesus at all. Now, here we go. Here we go. When you use the word God in a conversation, what do you think happens in the minds of people around you? Let's think about it for a moment. Have you ever been in the supermarket or had a conversation with a random person? and that person mentions the word God, what immediately happens inside of you? Here's a few things. When you mention the word God, some people might feel happy that they are not the only ones around actually loving God and believing in Him. But when you keep quiet, and you make as if you're not a God believer, that person assumes you don't believe in God. That person is not built up by your silence. That person is discouraged by your silence. There are many people who would love to hear somebody else believes in God. But we keep quiet about Him. And that person doesn't get to be encouraged by us. Oh, we don't want to say the word God. What about some people might feel inspired to use the word God unashamedly. Some people are too shy to say the word God. And then they hear you say it publicly, unashamedly, I believe in God. I follow God, whatever the case may be. Oh, God has been good to me. What is that person going to think? Oh my goodness, so you can't actually say it in public? Oh, this person didn't get crucified. This person is still alive. This person is bold enough to talk about God. Wow, from now on, I'm going to not be shy anymore to talk about Him. We can inspire others to use God words like Jesus when we do it. What about feel challenged in their faith because they are lost? There might be somebody listening to your conversation or somebody that you're busy talking to, and you might just say, you know what, I used to be like that, but you know, God changed my life. You bring the word God in. That person might walk away and you think you've just wasted your breath, but that person might walk away and think, oh my goodness, that that lady or that guy was pretty bold to talk about God. Maybe God is real. Maybe He is real. Just using the word God and pointing to the Creator might just plant a small seed in an atheist's mind or a person who's lost or a person who's broken. But because you bring God into the conversation, you are making that person person conscious of God. If you said nothing, that person would have just gone on their journey, not even thinking about God. Our words are produced by our thoughts. And words produce thoughts. Think about it. Thoughts produce words and words produce thoughts. So what I say can produce thoughts in somebody else's life. That's what the scripture means when it says you're sowing seed into people's life. When you sow seed, you're speaking words. That person goes and thinks about it without even knowing they're thinking about it necessarily. That's the impact that we can have we are not shy to talk about God. And then, of course, there's a fourth type of person that will hear you talk about God. And that person will be offended because he or she does not believe in God. And yes, that risk is there. But Jesus had that same risk when He spoke about His Father. When they didn't believe in His Father, He didn't keep quiet about Him. And so it does take a sense of courage and, and, and boldness to talk about God, knowing that some people will not like it. But what type of a cloth are we cut off? We are cut off of of a cloth of a type of people who goes to the cross and give themselves up for the God of heaven and earth. We follow a Lord that gave up His life for His Father. We are not the type of people who shrink back and is too scared and ashamed to endure persecution for the name of God. We are not like that. Now, as we close off, which practical words can we say which phrases are common that we can easily use on a daily basis? Now we can go as practical as possible. There we go. Yes. That is actually one of the ones I've got here. Let's, what about God bless you? Can we not say that to somebody? God bless you. There's nothing offensive in there. It's a prayer. You are asking God to bless. You are making that person feel special. God bless you. What about saying that to a person who does good? Wow, that was precious of you. God bless you for helping this old lady carry her stuff that she just bought from the the hardware store. Probably not. It makes that person recognize there is a rewarder. There is a God who blesses. It's a message you're giving. What about the the words, God loves you? I've been listening to an an atheist, one of the most prominent atheists in America debate, one of the um, Christian apologists. And the Christian apologist, every time they go online to debate, the first thing he says to him is, God loves you, man. (laughs) And the atheist doesn't want that. It's like, ah! He says, God loves you. To the person, what about saying that? You meet somebody, you know, that is broken down and hurting. What about saying to that person, you know what, God loves you. Well, her marriage has fallen apart. It feels like nobody loves her in the world. Well, you say, well, you know what, God loves you. To the person who feels unwanted, unloved, and alone in the world, she can recognize, or he can recognize, that there is a God who loves him or her. Simple words. What about, God is in control. What about saying that to the person whose life seems to be falling apart? The person who can't get their stuff together. You're helping that person realize, when you say these words, you're helping that person realize, oh my goodness, there is a bigger power in the world that is a good force, that actually loves and controls everything for the good. It helps that person realize, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. God is in control. Simple words, Right? What about, God is good? Yeah? What about saying that to the person who has really been blessed? Instead of saying, wow, you're lucky. Oh goodness, you have a lot of money. How did you get that right? There's all kinds of ways we can say stuff. What about, God is good? What are you telling that person? You're telling that person, number one, that good things come from God. And that you need to thank Him for that. Right? Right? And you're giving, you're giving that person an opportunity to realize, oh my, oh my goodness, I'm not as cool as I think I am. In actual fact, the God of heaven gave me this opportunity and the ability to have this. And what about thank God? What about saying that to somebody who has escaped suffering or escaped a tragedy or who survived a car wreck? What about saying thank God? Instead of saying, hey, sure, you were lucky that guy wasn't driving faster. No. What about thank God that he watched over you? You recognize through those words that there's a God in heaven who looked out for you. And what about the last one? I will speak to God about you. Now, I've, I've used those specific words, you know, because we often say to people, I'll pray for you. Right? We say that, but we don't do it. Let's be honest. I'll pray for you. Because we don't know what to say. Life is falling apart. I'll pray for you. Three minutes later, we've forgotten. I'm not saying everybody, but sometimes that happens. And you know, for many people, they know this. They know if you say, I'll pray for you, it's just like, yeah, you will probably, or maybe it's just comforting words or whatever. It's sort of like, it's it's become a a useless phrase in a way for many people. They don't really believe you're going to pray for them. But if you change the words and you just say, you know what, I will speak to God about you. It sort of puts a different spin on it. It puts this, this idea on, well, I'm going to go mention your name before God. It's not a religious exercise. I'm going to talk to my God and your God about you and I'm going I'm to mention your name. It's a little, more, a little bit more personal. And it helps people realize that there's a God in heaven and there are people who are willing to talk to him about, about whatever is going on in their lives. So, simple summary, very simple lesson. Jesus spoke about God. We mustn't be ashamed to do the same. We are bringing God into the world when we talk about him. We shouldn't be shy to mention him. And He has easy ways. God bless you. God loves you. God is in control. God is good. Thank God. I'll speak to God about you. I challenge you to find one opportunity this week to say it. Just one. And I want to ask you to come tell me about it. I'm going to try as well. And I'll tell you next week. Good. All right. I'll leave you with this. Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God. Because of you. Let us stand and sing the final song.